0: We are shifting gears a little bit today. I want to talk about practices that are conducive for, uh, I'd say, like productivity and, and retention, whether it be in the classroom or in the workplace. So I'm going to focus a little bit more on classrooms right now, but this would apply to workplaces as well. So what we're going to talk about is how collaborative efforts are a must-do in classroom, schools, organizations. Why? What's the why underneath this? Why? Because we need human connection. And it doesn't always have to be in person. It can be in huddles or groups or things uh, online, but we need time with people. Ideally, not all asynchronous. Ideally, some synchronous time. We're all seeing each other, even if it's on a camera, on a screen. Why? Because we are biological and social beings. That's how our brains developed eons ago. So naturally we seek human connection and a sense of belonging. What grows this? Collaborative efforts, time together, connection. <laughs> so it's it was built and grew out of survival and it still exists in our brains and our bodies today because that's how our brains grew and developed. So it's still in there we still need it. And we are more disconnected than we have ever been. We think we're connected because we've got social media, but social media isn't, it's like a more passive connection. So you're posting things and you resonate with it and you're like, "Oh, I really resonate with that. And you save it and you read it and you think about it and you feel connected to that person because you connected to the thing they posted, but you're not engaging with them unless you take it a step further and you do reach out and you do engage with them and you have a call with them or a meeting with them or a video with them, then you get some human connection, but it's not too often that we do that. And even if we do, in order to keep getting that need met, we have to keep doing it and cultivate that relationship. So I want you to think about two things. One, in the absence of a sense of connection is pain. If we don't have connection, we experience pain. There are all kinds of studies, brain scans, showing that people that are not deeply connected and don't have a sense of belonging in, in different ways in their lives, it shows up the same as physical pain. So organizations that don't connect and collaborate and, and get people together would essentially be organizations that if we tested the brain of the organization, it would show like, hmm, organization might be in a pain state or throughout the day or week or year, the state of the organization is often in a pain state. You connect, you collaborate, you belong. Healthier organization. Same for schools. Number two thing I want to share is that oxytocin suppresses the activity of the amygdala. <laughs> English, please. Oxytocin is the love chemical. Oxytocin is something we need more of. We love our bodies, love our brains love. <laughs> we don't get a lot of because we're not a super physically affectionate, uh, touchy culture in general. And with everyone being in such a heightened state post pandemic and just a bunch of other things, we are definitely less touchy and it doesn't need to be always (laughs) like, can be like a hug uh, or even like a hand on the shoulder or something like just anything that is any form of, of touch or human uh, connection. Even if it's not touch, like deep human connection will produce oxytocin as well. Anyhow, the point being when we have the production of this, it suppresses the activity of the amygdala, the amygdala being a threat detection center in the brain. It is the part that kind of goes off when your nervous system is dysregulated, when you're stressed out, when you're overwhelmed. So when you're stressed out, overwhelmed, what's going to balance you out? Oxytocin, connection. We're often stressed at work. We're often stressed at school. What's going to balance it out? Oxytocin, connection. Keep that in mind because both of these things impact cognitive skills, which impacts learning which impacts listening, which impacts productivity, which impacts happiness. Important to know. All right, what are the skills needed for people to collaborate? Well, we need to teach time management skills. We need to teach conflict resolution because it's almost we can almost be sure that people are gonna have differing opinions and there's gonna be conflict. And most importantly, we need communication skills because we do not have those skills. And bridging is a good skill to teach as well. Bridging is when you integrate a point, another point. Bridge, <laughs> let me slow down. Bridging is when you integrate another's point of view by bridging theirs with yours. So often what we do is we hear something and we just turn around and make it about us. We become a very selfish society. When you bridge, you're integrating what the other person says and kind of building off of it and you're building up. Now, there can be a negative bridge too. Like you can take a bridge and take something someone says and like, oh yeah, that makes me think of this and make it about you. So be mindful of how much you do that. But we want to take others' perspectives and point of views. We want to bridge them and we want to move the conversation forward. What do we need to consider before we plan or organize these collaborative efforts? quite a few things here. One, we want to establish procedures, essentially ways of doing the thing or the things. And this provides a framework for learning, which reduces the likelihood of errors, of conflict, of things like that. So be clear on the procedures. In defining the procedures, adults may be able to know, might know how to implement them without Instruction or training. Maybe they do need those things. Kids definitely going to need that direct instruction. They're going to need to know how to follow these procedures, what it looks like, probably modeling, all those things. Alongside procedures, we also need to know expectations. And adults need to know these too. Tell people your expectations because clear is kind and unclear is unkind. Thank you, Brene Brown. Break things down into steps. Show and model each step. People just... They don't get it and they try and get it and they think they know what we're thinking and if we're not clear and we don't state the expectations, share the procedures and break things into steps and show them how we want it done, it's very likely to be not done well or not done the way we want or expect it to be. When we are sharing these things or practicing them, give feedback. That's what helps us get to the end goal, the way we want to get to the end goal. And when people forget... Reteach instead of just always correcting and redirecting. Reteach. Encourage others to lend a hand when people are having difficulty. It doesn't always need to be you who jumps in. Who are your point people who are helping you out? And we want everyone to learn these conflict resolution skills, so encourage others to help others. And then to build a positive culture, you want to catch people meeting your expectations and let them know. They don't need little prizes. They don't need to be patronized but they do need to be told and affirmed that they're doing well. And that helps them to continue to do this. Why? Because it produces dopamine and serotonin and it makes them continue to want to do those things. And remember that consistency with all of these things is key. Last little bit that I want to go into is what do we do to prevent resistance? Because you're probably going to have some resistance somewhere, whether it's a classroom, older students, adults, whatever it may be. So here are some proactive measures to prevent resistance. One, sprinkle in praise-worthy feedback. We're so busy moving through the day, we forget to stop, pause, and praise. Stop, pause, and praise. Put those words somewhere. <laughs> Why does this matter? Because it builds trust, it builds rapport, it builds a sense of belonging, and dopamine. We like praise. Praise is good. And make sure it's kind of like more, ex- like that the praise is not just like great job guys no no like be explicit be clear give them the specific thing that you're praising them about i like that you did x i found it really helpful when you did you know be specific and encourage peers to do this for each other also reassure students even when they are wrong or incorrect because when you reassure someone who frankly screws up, this continues to build trust and incu- it encourages better and future participation. We want that. Don't be a culture that tears people down and makes them feel like they are always wrong and they're walking on eggshells. <laughs> Teach comfort around failure that connects. We're gonna fail. We're humans. We're gonna have bad days. It's gonna happen. It's okay. Have grace, have understanding. Teach people to have comfort around that, accept it, and do better. It's when they fail around the same thing multiple times that we get a little concerned. Don't call people out or call on them without being absolutely certain that you know the right answer. Why? That produces a lot of anxiety. That creates a culture on edge. We don't want a culture on edge. We don't want a culture where there's a lot of anxiety. We want people to volunteer. And if we create a culture where there's comfort, Safety, trust, and rapport, people are going to volunteer a lot more because they're going to be comfortable with failure and making a mistake. All right. That kind of gives you the things that get in the way of people wanting to participate. It gets people comfortable. gets them on board with collaborative efforts. Now, I'm going to dig a little bit more into one of these things, expectations, we need to make sure that we have a list of our expectations and that they're posted somewhere for everyone to see because people are going to forget them. And that's okay. But think about what are your expectations and how are you going to make sure that you teach them and that people are following through with them and how are you going to praise them? Here are some example expectations. Maybe you make sure that people are always addressed by the name that they so choose, whether that's a, it's like... Their name, name, or their nickname, whatever they want to be called, make sure that we're using their names and we're not using terms that are um, uncomfortable to them. Make sure that we are remaining with the group and that we're not just kind of going in directions and going off and doing our own thing. The point of collaborative efforts is to be a part of the group, to interact, to build relationships. Make sure that we are all taking turns, actively leading, and that we are respectful of each other's time. That one person doesn't overrule, which often happens. And how do we stop this person when they begin to take over? What's a target word that is non-offensive that we can use to let the person know they've gone too long? Active listening. Oof, we're not really very good listeners. So how do we teach active listening and let them know it is absolutely an expectation? You might, for kids, need noise level expectations. For anyone or anything, you're gonna need disagreement or like disagreeing civilly expectations, integrating ideas of all members, expectations. So just think about what, what would be your expectations of your groups? What do you expect from each group? On next week's episode, I am going to continue this by talking about, okay, now that we have all this background information about why groups are important and things we need to consider before we plan our groups and implement them, how do we actually implement them successfully? And what do we do when there is an actual problem? That's coming up next week. But today I'm going to wrap with that because that was enough new information. And that takes us to our listener question, which is how can we help the entire class cope with students who are having stress and or trauma issues? This this question actually just came up this week for me in a coaching session. This was a, I think it was a primary school classroom. And they have a student in that classroom who is really likely unknown, but has a lot of trauma somewhere in his or her life and is acting out in class in ways that are pretty violent and it's scaring the other students. So a couple of things. One, we're probably already working on solutions for the student who is acting out. And there's probably good reason the student is acting out. So we're, we're working on that. But how do we protect everyone else? One, model for them ways to deescalate because the whole class's energy is going to go up when that person's energy go up goes up. So if we model ways to deescalate, not only do they learn how to deescalate, but by their doing it at the moment, they model it for that student that's, that's deescalating. And when everyone around them is modeling ways to deescalate, it brings the whole energy back down. Two, we want to talk about grace. We want to have an open discussion and a classroom discussion about having grace for people who mess up because we're all human. We all mess up and some things are really scary and some things are really stressful. And the world is a better place when we have grace and compassion for people who are trying and not doing well. And our job as a, an, a, like a solid individual is To do the best we can to support those people and love them through it. Because too often those people and those kids are ousted. They're sent out into different rooms. They're sent out of the school. And when they need more than anything, a sense of belonging, they feel like they do not belong. So when we can cultivate a culture of care and compassion, the energy comes back down. Students feel like they belong. They feel safe. And when safety is felt, those big big behaviors don't happen so much. They get reduced and reduced and reduced until they stop happening altogether. So create a culture of, of grace, understanding, and then create safety. Like teach them how to keep themselves safe when they're around this particular individual because that is a concern. We want to make sure that they are physically and as much as we can psychologically safe. So what can they do when these things happen to keep themselves safe? And then of course with that student, you're going to work on safety things that one student or those students who are acting out violently, work on safety things to get them de-escalated faster, plan of action for when they do get de-escalated, what happens to the rest of the students, and how do we keep everyone safe physically and psychologically? So tough question, but I'm really going to challenge everyone to think about like not just removal, but how do we teach the other individuals in the room to have grace for this human or these humans? wrap up the show, I'm going to share with you or try out a home tip, which is one of my favorites. And this <laughs> kind of came back around to me a couple of years ago. Our clothes are not always conducive for nervous system regulation, which is probably a weird thing to hear, but things that are tight, things that are like high-waisted, things that are itchy, scratchy, they're irritants to our skin, even if we don't necessarily feel it, our subconscious or our like body's conscious is aware of it. And it causes a little bit of nervous system dysregulation. So make sure that you have times of day or days where you do wear comfy clothes, like a little bit more loose fitting, a little bit more soft, maybe a little less tight. Because when you have these comfy clothes, Your body can come back down. I mean, think about when you come home from work and you might put on something really comfy, you can feel your whole energy come down. You might be thinking energy's down because you're not at work anymore, which is part of it, but the comfy clothes also really help, which is why I try to be pretty careful about like my child, young baby, always wearing things on him that are comfy, not, you know, some of the cute stuff isn't comfy and I want to wear it because it's cute, but it's not about being cute. It's about him being comfortable and having a regulated nervous system. That's it for today's episode of returning to us podcast. Don't forget our try to help tip, which is spend some time in comfy clothes. And if you are looking for more support in the areas of stress, trauma, behavior in the brain, I started coaching again. So I am working with schools and with families to coach around things, stress, trauma, and behavior to get people back into their regulated parts of their nervous system and get them to stay there and reduce behaviors. Help people respond with a more brain based and trauma informed lens. And if that's not enough, or that's not in your <laughs> area, a wonderful human being, Jessica Doring, and myself just launched a business called Five Ives, which is an organization that coaches organizations. <laughs> through a series of five steps to bring people out of a survival state into a thriving state, to reset nervous systems and overhaul entire company culture to increase productivity and reduce burnout. At the end of the program, typically at least two years, sometimes people invest in a five-year program, We will hopefully be able to seal you off with a trauma invested certificate that you will earn by adopting a lot of the practices that we will train you on. So amazing work. If your organization is interested in becoming trauma informed and getting that stamp or seal of approval from us, or you just want coaching and you don't care about the certification, we can do that too, but you'll look at fiveives.com and that will get you in touch with both of us. Don't forget to lock in what you learn by sharing it with somebody else or applying it right away. Until next episode, I am Lauren Spiegelmeyer, and thanks for joining me.